Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Right, next up in our one-on-one series, well, if, you know, we want to find out what makes the people tick, people involved with the sport on and off the ice. And delighted to be joined once again on A View from the Bridge by a man who always has time for us, and we're very grateful for that. He's been the voice and the face of UK domestic hockey on the television for predominantly the last 10 years. But when the season's in, he's Elite League, KHL, SHL, CHL, Team GB, because now he's going off to the Olympic. He's one busy man, so we're delighted to be joined once again by Mr. Aaron Murphy. How are you, mate? Oh, Patty, great to be on and talk to talk to you in these strange and wonderful times, I guess. <laughs> it's just been absolutely unreal what's going on, so let's uh, enjoy a chat about something other than a virus. <laughs> That's very, very true. So what I want to get stuck, we'll go chat about you, maybe about your background and, and how you've come to where you are now, but... As I say, you know, you're a busy man, especially with all the, the different types of hockey that you cover. You've obviously got a passion for it. So my first question really is, what is it about the sport of ice hockey in particular that drives that passion? I guess, uh, I mean, growing up, I grew up in Newfoundland. So as a Canadian, I grew up around the sport. My my cousins, my uncles, my parents, everyone was a hockey person. Uh, my friends so when you went to school that's what you talked about did you see the game last night and then we all started playing when we were four and five so I mean I've just been submersed and around hockey my whole life so I guess it's kind of like you know I live in Ireland now and you talk to GAA people and whether it's hurling or Gaelic football they love it man they volunteer they're around it they spend their weekends uh, driving around Ireland for tournaments and it's the exact same in Canada so I guess Growing up in uh, in Newfoundland around hockey people, it just uh, was something that was in in me. I guess it's in my veins, and uh, I love it. So, yeah, I, I guess that the passion's there. And uh, my dad used to say, if if you like what you're doing, you probably won't feel like you're working much. And I guess that's like you said there off the top ten years. Wow, I don't know if it feels like ten years less, more. I don't know, but it's certainly been a fun ride uh, being a part of hockey in the broadcast side over the last while. Let's bring you back to those days in, in Newfoundland. You know, as you say, Canada. I've been many times, and it's it's a it's a, a fantastic country that's steeped in that sport in particular. So, what was your involvement in the game at that young age? Were you part of a team? Did you grow up part of a team, or was it just a, a, an onlooker? Oh no, I grew up playing. Uh, my dad used to freeze the backyard. We've all heard those stories <laughs> about people putting the hose out in the garden in, in the winter. Well, my dad used to let the sprinkler go back and forth. Um, and just freeze overnight, and we would skate from the time probably three and a half, uh, four years of age, and we'd play my cousins, my neighbors. We'd be out on that backyard sheet. It wasn't a huge, but for us it felt like it was uh, the Montreal Forum or Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, so from a young age, we are out there all day. There was no certainly video games or anything like that, so we were happy to be out on our skates. Um, and as then at school, I played uh, – uh, hockey ever since uh, I guess kindergarten up and played traveling team played all-star 
So I, I played at a pretty good level. My cousins were good. My dad played in the old Newfoundland Senior Hockey League, so I used to go watch him in front of thousands of people. So mm. that would spur me on to want to play at a higher level. And uh, that old Senior Hockey League was, you know, that was something else. And there would be guys from old NHL guys playing in that league and guys who played in the AHL. So it was fun to watch. Um, but then as I went up through the school ranks, uh, I certainly made school teams, played high school hockey, which is huge in, in Newfoundland, huge in Canada. Um, and then all the way up through, played at Ryerson, played, I uh, had a cup of coffee on the Western Pro League, which I don't even think exists anymore. Uh, broke my jaw, uh, decided, to, uh, I promised my mom that, well, I would go to university if stuff didn't work out. So I went and got a degree in broadcasting at Ryerson, uh, continued to, to be on the ice there. And then when I moved to Ireland, there was a, I guess it was a semi-pro league. The old Irish ice hockey league was going, uh, Dicko played in, in that league and Gareth Roberts played in that league and, and lots of guys from uh, the Belfast Giants played in that league. And so I played in that league, but I was old at that point. And I wasn't taking it too seriously, but um, I played in that league. And I remember I got in a fight with a guy who played for Latvia, uh, which wasn't a great idea on my part, <laughs> especially after being out the night before. <laughs> anyway, uh, I played all the way up through and, and certainly was a... I was a gritty player, I guess, but I love the game as much on the ice as I love calling the game now. So it was a passion. And if, if a guy asked me, a coach asked me to block a, a shot with my neck, I would do it. That's why I always loved Adam Keefe. I remember seeing Adam Keefe block a shot with his neck. And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. so there's two idiots in this arena that would do that. So um, <laughs> I was a gritty player that just loved the game. I loved being in the locker room. I loved the camaraderie. I uh, loved being given a role. Okay, you're going to kill penalties. You're going to be doing this or that. So, I mean, I was never good enough to play in the NHL or anything, but I did uh, have a cup of coffee in various leagues uh, and loved it, man. And I have some lifelong friends because of that. And I know the game well, so I think that I, I bring that to the broadcast side. So, yeah, I mean, it, it started on that backyard rink and meandered all the way to where I am now, I guess. It's It seems so far removed from the game here, obviously being a... A minority sport in in this country, and the, the lack of ice facilities and stuff. But it's interesting that you drew that parallel earlier on with with the GAA in Newfoundland, in I suppose in wider Canada. And you talked about your cousins and your your family being involved. It seemed to be very much a community thing. That hockey is really part of of the wider community. Oh yeah, of course. Like uh, like my cousin was a few years younger. For example, here's a good story. He was probably a better player than a kid called Harold Drukin. And Harold Drukin went on to play, I think he played a couple of hundred NHL games uh, from Newfoundland. I played against uh, a couple of guys that played in the NHL. Um, I think my other cousin played against Terry Ryan, who was a first-round pick. So within that community, we had lots of good hockey players. But at that time, scouts didn't go to Newfoundland. So it was very funny. So our, our community was very much like the GAA and that there wasn't probably the thought of pro hockey, just like GAA players uh, hurling and and certainly in the, on the female side, Camogie, they just want to play for their county. So we all wanted to play for our school teams. We all wanted to play maybe a rep team and, and traveling team in our respective regions in Newfoundland because scouts, NHL scouts, they stopped at Halifax. They didn't go to Newfoundland. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the likes of Harold Druk and Danny Cleary, Michael Ryder. I played against Michael Ryder's brother. Um, like, so all these guys went on to play in the NHL and I was probably removed from that, but like, it was all about playing for your school, playing for your region at like Newfoundland games, Newfoundland winter games. So we, it was very much a community thing and we never thought the NHL was, was, uh, was even possible in Newfoundland. Uh, it is now, and there's plenty of guys that have done so, 
but yeah, it was very much a community level and your uncle was probably coaching you and your neighbor was probably the assistant coach. And it was just, you knew everyone. And it was in the winter, it was certainly a safe place. Like we all were around the rink. Like I, I'm pretty sure my dad used to just drop me off there so he could have a break, even if there was nothing going on and we would hang around the rink all day. (laughs) So it was, yeah, very much a community thing. And I look back with really fond memories. So to that extent, how important was it to have a team like the Growlers come in and, and gain their success so early? Oh, it was huge. And I talked about like my dad and, and some of the men in my community playing Newfoundland senior hockey, which was every good, every bit as good as what the East Coast Hockey League is. Uh, and so when you played for the St. John's Caps or the Cornerbrook Royals or the Port of Basque Mariners, um, you were like a local hero. So you need those heroes because you, we used to go, Oh, I want to play for the St. John's capitals or whatever. Uh, I want to be like Bill Riley or Gus Greco. You could did, look up on elite prospects, Bill Riley and Gus Greco, some for your listeners to do on these uh, lockdown days. But we looked at those guys um, and wanted to be those guys. And so now kids can see there was the St. John's Maple Leafs. We've had the Newfoundland fog devils, which is a QMJHL team. For the St. John's Maple Leafs for an AHL team, we've had the Ice Caps, which was an AHL team. I think the East Coast Hockey League is probably the right level as far as expense and all that mm. um, and overhead and salary. So them winning the Kelly Cup in the first year was huge because there will be in eight or nine years time, there will be 10 year olds that watch that Kelly Cup and they'll go, I want to play for the, the Growlers or whoever. And in seven, eight, nine years time, some of those kids, that will be their memory. Oh, my first, you know, season ticket was going to see the Growlers. They won the Kelly Cup and now I'm playing for, you know, the Growlers are playing in the coast or playing the American Hockey League or whatever. So it's so important to have something like this is the argument about TV as well. Bums and seats versus being proactive and having, t- you know, hockey on TV. If you can see it, you can be it. And if you see hockey on TV or you see hockey at your local arena, um, then you can aspire to that. And that's why I think it's so important to have the Growlers there. And that's why I think it's so important to have the EIHL or Team GB on the television as well. Yeah, go from the, the Growlers through the system to the Marlies to the Leafs. That would be a, a fantastic move for, for these young players to do it. But for you yourself growing up, you know, you, you would have had, from a Canadian perspective, what, the Nordiques, the Habs, the the uh the Leafs what was your NHL team well it was weird because as as a four or five year old I didn't look at Canada and the U.S. I just knew I lived in St. John's I knew Mm. I lived on Monday Pond Road and not much more but we had a we had a cable package because Newfoundland and if you don't know where Newfoundland is I'm sure most people do it's the farthest point east in in North America so if you go south you're hitting Maine right you're hitting Boston so we had a cable package we didn't have many channels, but we used to get, I think it was WSBK and New England Sports Network. We didn't pay for it. It was just part of what was available to us. Um, and I won't show my age, but I will tell you, when I first started watching hockey, it was black and white. Um, <laughs> but we used to get Boston Bruins games, uh, Boston Red Sox games, Celtics, New England Patriots. So people say to me, no, you're a, you're a Patriots fan because they're winning. I, I used to watch the Patriots when they would go like 1-15. So I didn't know that they were an American team. So my team was the Bruins. I loved Terry O'Reilly. I loved Brad Park. Uh, I loved Ray Bork, Cam Neely. Those were my heroes growing up. And then one of my cousins said to me one day, he was a Montreal fan. And you all know Montreal Boston is like the, the biggest rivalry. We used to kick the living bejesus mm-hmm. out of each other. He'd be wearing a, Le- or a, a Habs jersey and I'd be wearing a Bruins jersey. But he said to me one day, why, like, why are you cheering for an American team? Now, this cousin went on to be a solicitor, so he's much smarter than me. But he used to point out at that point, why are you cheering for an American team? Why don't you cheer for Montreal or Toronto? 
So at that point, being a stubborn uh, Murphy, I just dug my heels in. Well, I don't care where they're from. The Bruins are my team. I've been watching them for years, and we used to continue to kick the the crap out of each other. But uh, I remember fondly going to the Montreal Montreal Forum and sitting next to that same cousin. It was Montreal Boston. It was a it was a Christmas treat. That was our treat. We got to go. That was. That was unbelievable. First ever NHL game, Montreal Forum, Boston, wow. Montreal, sitting uh, sitting next to each other in the corner and in the corner, and our uncles and fathers sitting way up in the top because they got us the nice seats. Um, and it was a hockey night in Canada game, and people saying to us a week later, "Oh, we saw you on the in the in the corner." I mean, that was that was huge. And I think back to those those moments and Ray Bork being right in front of you or Reggie Lemlin in the net. It was unbelievable. And it was surreal for kids from Newfoundland. We never had that opportunity. Right. And then all of a sudden, there you are at Montreal Forum, Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday night, all your dreams coming true. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching the Bruins, despite the fact they're an American team. Quick skip forward then on that point. Uh, when Boston came into Belfast, what were your thoughts? Oh, that was unbelievable. And that was uh, Jamaican bobsled stuff for me too, right? I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And, and I, I was lucky. I, I followed the Bruins around. I went to uh, Prague yeah. and covered them playing, which was Phoenix at the time. They call themselves Arizona now, but mm. the Coyotes. Um, and I, I covered that. I remember interviewing Tuka Rask and Tim Thomas about the goalie situation. I remember uh, talking to Patrice Bergeron and Chara, and Chara actually told me about uh, the his favorite part of the trip so far was Belfast. So that was an amazing, amazing year. And, and a funny story now, people love this spit and chiclet stuff, and they all love Paul Bissonette. <laughs> I interviewed Paul Bissonette in the Arizona Coyotes dressing room because he was a healthy scratch that those two games against Boston and Prague and he was the only guy in the dressing room and little did I know at the time that this guy would become the most famous uh, you know sort of podcast or, or Twitter guy so there you go Paul Bissonette many moons ago 2011 he was just a, a lonely guy in the dressing room looking for anyone to interview him and I had a great chat with him but I look back to that that year that the Bruins went through Belfast and Prague that was that was Highlight real stuff for me in my career, for sure. And ultimately went on to lift the Stanley Cup. Absolutely. And there was a big joke after that. Everyone wanted to go to start yeah. the season off in, in Belfast or wherever because you were going to win the Stanley Cup. And yeah, what a, what a ride that was and what a Bruins team that was. So coming back then, you, know, you said about your education and doing broadcasting as a degree. So you know, where, did, where did that lead? Where did you start into the broadcasting? Oh my, well, like when I got hurt and I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? And I, I wanted to be a part of hockey in some way. I didn't think I wanted to be a coach. Certainly didn't want to be a referee. I know the abuse that I gave <laughs> referees. Um, so I just thought about it logically and it went back to Hockey Night in Canada. Again, see it, be it, right? That's why it's so important. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says about bums and seats. The Elite League, Team GB, those things need to be on TV because it can inspire people to so many different things. Um, so I grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada, loved it. I uh, wanted to be like those guys um, if I couldn't be in the NHL. So I got at a crossroads where I'm like, well, I can go to Ryerson. I can play and I can get a degree. It was the only degree that you could get in sports broadcasting in Canada at the time. You could get diplomas at other places. But and I also thought, well, Toronto, what a great place to be. Ryerson was right next to the Maple Leaf Gardens. Like, what yeah. else could you want? So that's the way I went and did it. And it's funny because I had such dreams. I'm like, imagine if I got to go to a Stanley Cup game as a broadcaster and so that's where it started for me, dreaming, right? I've always been a bit of a dreamer. But I also think if you don't have dreams, what do you got? So I was dreaming of when I went into Ryerson, um, I was still pretty banged up. I don't know. If, I can't remember how many games I played that year. I don't think I played much. But I don't know how many classes I went to as far as, like, literature or history. But all the sports broadcasting courses 
I went and I was there and I got a job at TSN um, through meeting Scott Moore, who was the head of TSN at the time. And he went on to be a, a big wig in Canadian broadcasting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just kind of snowballed from there. I just kept putting myself out there and, and just tried it. It was before social media. So you really had to work it. You had to be carrying resumes or, resumes or CVs with you all the time in case you met somebody and trying to get your nose in the door. But I did well at Ryerson. Uh, I got a couple of gigs at TSN. And again, I was I was daydreaming. I got a couple of freelance gigs at Hockey Night in Canada, which was, again, pinch me moment. And then you talk about the Bruins going through in 2011 and the winning Stanley Cup. That was my first Stanley Cup. So from graduating from university in 96 to 2011, I was working from 96 to 2011 to try and make those dreams a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who now sometimes make fun of me or say, oh, well, you work three hours a day or you work one EIHL game every two weeks or you do an SHL game here and there. Like From 96 to this point, think about the night shifts as an editorial assistant. I worked a Christmas day on an NBA game when no one else wanted to work. Uh, I did all those things in broadcasting. I hauled cable at the 96 Atlanta Olympics when Donovan Bailey, the Canadian sprinter, um, beat all the Americans in Atlanta and broke the world record. I was literally five feet away from him as he crossed the line but i was hauling cable i was dirty and sweaty and probably making like a hundred dollars for a 15 hour shift so i did everything man i hauled cable i was an editorial assistant i i did research i did archives i logged tape everything man i logged tape on curling and you can imagine how tedious that would be but anything that i could get my nose into but all of that was geared at becoming a play-by-play guy so I guess from 96 to now, it doesn't feel like a long time, but I guess it's a long time and there's been a lot of weird jobs and wacky memories in between that. So what kept your drive? It seems that they, that's, a, that's, I think that's some determination to basically go from 96 all the way to 2011, the Stanley Cup, to have to continue that drive to, to want to be and to, get, and to get there. When you were at your darkest moments and trying to get through, what made you drive through? Oh, man, I, I just saw it. I saw my friends who worked in, uh, like, I had some really good buddies who worked in, like, accountancy, and they're all probably very wealthy now. I don't ask them. They all seem to have nice big houses and cars. But <laughs> they always seem to have the same thing. Oh, this guy and that guy, and oh, it's year in and this and that. I'm not taking any away from accountants. Just my experience, some of my buddies were in jobs that I just thought, well, first of all, it was terrifying. I could never do that. I was bad at math, so I can't do that. So I better, I better keep pushing this sports broadcasting thing, or I'm going to be like, I'm going to have like no job. So I think it was a little bit of a, like my friends go, man, just stick with it. Look at like, yeah, you work Christmas day on an NBA game, but who cares? You're at a Raptors game courtside or yeah. yeah like, you know, it's maybe not glamorous hauling cable at the Olympics, but you're at the Olympics, you know? Um, and, and so it was just a drive to kind of, well, if I don't try, I'll, I'll regret it. Um, but it's funny. You mentioned the dark days. There were times where I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. And I went and a lot of people don't know this about me. Um, I went and did the fireman's course in Ontario. So I was living in Toronto at the time. I was working at TSN and I went and did the fireman's course. Uh, so I did all the physical exams, which were really tough to pass at the time. It was like harder than uh, the military, the police uh, physical exams. And people were like saying to me, man, this is crazy. Like, anyway, I went and I passed all that. And then I had to do all the written and the psychological testing for the, for the Ontario fire services. So I was on a waiting list for Toronto FD uh, for about six months. And then I got a chance, uh, a chance encounter with a buddy of mine saying, there's, look, there's this company in based out of Dublin. Cause I was always saying too, like, if I don't get in the fire services, I might take a year off from this broadcasting stuff and travel around Ireland. 
and Europe. And he said to me, there's this company called North American Sports Network, and they're looking for someone who knows something about hockey. You should get in touch with this guy. So I did. And I heard back from NASN quicker than I heard back from the Toronto Fire Department. So I guess, as they say, the rest is history. My first job in Europe was at NASN kind of picking NHL games because they're like, well, should we show Montreal, Boston or Columbus, Nashville? And I'm like, well, you show Montreal, Boston uh, or should we show the Fox Detroit feed or the Hockey Night in Canada feed? Let's show the Hockey Night in Canada feed. So one of my first jobs is pretty rudimentary, but I loved it because I was trying to show that passion for hockey to Irish people to broadcast into the UK and Irish markets. But I guess if I had heard from Toronto Fire Department, before I got on the plane for Dublin, then I'd be a fireman in Toronto right now. And I would have loved that. Um, but, you know, here we are. Strange, strange circumstances lead to strange decisions. And I went to Ireland for one year and I'm there. I'm, I'm here 12, 13 years now. Wow. No, 14 years. So one year turned into that. And again, it's, it's a meandering thing. But I look back fondly because... I mean, how did I get here? Sometimes I wonder. Now I've got a mortgage and two kids and an Irish wife who's like, well, we're not going back to Canada unless you get like the biggest job at Hockey Night in Canada. So here I am after one year and I'm, I'm not going back. I'm happy here. I don't want to go back either unless I could get that dream job because I love my job here. But it's just funny how you, you wake up one morning and go, how did I get here? And that's why it's great having a chat with you. I guess it has been some yeah. sort of path. That's all right. I've just, I'm, I'm very intrigued, but the, one of the questions I always, you know, when we get some of the new imports that come into the Belfast Giants year on year on year, is when you look at their CVs and you see at one point in their career, if it's not this point, it's one point earlier in their career, they've made that decision to jump to Europe. And there's always various reasons behind it. But for you, I'm very clear the fact that you know, this job came up and you came over. And what was it made you just stick here? Obviously, you know, your wife and you've met somebody and, and, and you've had children. But was there anything else that just made you think, actually, yes, this is my niche? Yeah, I thought because, like, there was no way I was going to be calling play-by-play to Hockey Night in Canada anytime soon or TSN, although I thought I was dreaming, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And I still, in part of me, thinks I'm going to do that. Mm. Um, but when I came to Ireland, it was supposed to be a year adventure, and then, like, they're like, buddy, you should stay, and we'll get you to do some editorial stuff as well. How about some writing on the website? Because I expressed an interest in writing, like, EPGs and stuff like that and synopsis of games, and mm. that spun into um, this Murph on Ice cat- yeah. column on an NASN website. And then all of a sudden, I was at an NHL Premier game between uh, Detroit and St. Louis, and I was interviewing Danny Cleary, who's a Newfoundlander, and he was the first Newfoundlander to win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and there I am in, in Stockholm at the Globe Arena. So... I'm like, well, I'd be a fool to go back now. They're sending me to Stanley Cup events. And then all of a sudden ESPN bought North American Sports Network. And all of a sudden I was working for ESPN in Europe. And they're going, you want to go to the Stanley Cup and write articles? Do you want to go to the Stanley Cup and interviews Dan O'Chara? Yeah, okay, let's do that. So I, I it became a niche that they're like, well, he's the hockey guy. And I like, I think I brought that passion to silly editorial meetings that I would bring to a broadcast on. They're like, why are you so amped up about this? It's just Boston, Montreal. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is great. So it became a niche that my passion sort of was rewarded, I guess. Uh, and all of a sudden I was getting chances to travel. Um, I got a chance to do, I don't know if you remember it for the Sochi Olympics, the, uh, the team GB final Olympic qualifiers in Latvia yeah. for the Sochi Olympics were in Riga. And I got a chance to do, that was my first big play by play gig. And that was unbelievable. I mean, there I am in an elevator with Sandus Ozelinch, and he's wearing a Stanley Cup ring, and I'm going to be doing play-by-play on an Olympic qualifier. And that was on ESPN. So, yeah, like it just kept spiraling into like the next opportunity. Don't go anywhere. Um, 
and I never did hear from Toronto Fire Department, or I might have, I might have got a letter, but I was long gone, because back in those days, there was no texts or anything like that, it was probably a letter saying, uh, you're in the fire services, or you need to re-up your qualifications, but I was in Ireland, and now lived in London for a few years, on the ESPN uh, uh, hockey route, and then now back to Ireland with uh, free sports and premier sports, so it's been yeah, I mean, I, I had, I've, I'll be honest with you, I have had chances to go back. I won't say what and and how, but they were hockey related. They were sort of in the industry, but I just thought, man, I'm in a good position here. I love calling games, so I'm going to stay put for now until the real dream maybe opens up someday. And I still do dream about hockey night in Canada. I, uh, I, I would have to uh, pinch myself if that was ever possible. Obviously, the, the pushing the. the the sport in this country pushing it on tv isn't an easy thing to do um, no doubt it's been a, it's been a long and difficult road but where do you think we are now i think we're in a pretty good position i mean uh we were supposed to do 17 or 18 games this year we mm-hmm. did 12 before this whole uh pandemic postponement of course which obviously was the right decision for all leagues um but before that we did six of your guys chl games and six of the cardiff's chl games. so like there was you know, there was a substantial number of EIHL teams being shown on TV this year. So, again, see it, you can be it. The kids would have enjoyed it, hopefully. Um, Team GB, uh, we had announced we did the Olympic qualifiers, didn't we? Uh, unfortunately, going out against uh, Hungary on the last day in Nottingham. Uh, sadly, we were about to announce Team Canada versus yeah. Team GB. That was going to be live on free sports. That was canceled, obviously. And, of course, we would have been in Lausanne for the World Championship. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm scheduled to do 125 games this year, I think. And, and probably, like, 50-odd would have featured EIHL players or teams or GB. So, we did the under-20s this year. We did the women's last year. I think we're in a good place. And I keep driving people batty by saying, well, how about this? Why don't we do more? And my boss, like, I'm sure he sees an email come to me and he goes, oh, what does this guy want now? But in quiet moments when we get to have a chat, he goes, oh, I love that you keep pushing it because some of these things have worked out. Like, you know, we were the first people to put the women's team on TV. Mm-hmm. I think we were the first people to put the under-18s on TV. We certainly um, push the boat. We punch above our weight. And I think our EIHL coverage keeps getting better and better. Uh, so long may continue. I don't have any update on that right now. I think right now with this pandemic, everyone is worried about their health and all that, which is 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 the right attitude. But hopefully in the coming months, we will have a, a positive outlook as to what's going to happen into the future. We know that uh, the CHL will have Cardiff in it next year. So we'll be covering that. Um, GB in 2021 will be in the top flight. We'll be covering that. So I think we're in a good place. I think we could be better, but that's just the crazy Irish Newfie and me just, again, trying to push things, push things. Let's do more. Let's do more. And I've had people get in my face about, you know, shouldn't there be more of this and that? Or should, shouldn't should it, it? Why is it just you and AD and all that? Like, And I just kind of ignore that because I think sometimes people forget that it's taken a long time to get to where we are. So it's not just a, a case of, well, let's just let's just throw everything on TV. It takes a lot of work and it's expensive. Hockey is expensive. So we're doing the best we can with what we can. And I think we're in a good place. Uh, I'd like it to be more, but that's again, just the crazy uh, part of me. How important is, how important was, sorry, the, the launch of free sports and all of that? Uh, well, it was huge, wasn't it? Because a lot of the things we had heard is that the EIHL wanted to be free to air. And I agree with them. You want to be seen by as most people uh, in, in that form. So it was huge. And I think it's been huge for the CHL. 
it's certainly been really big for Team GB. Um, you look at the sponsors they have now. I'm not saying that's because of free sports. Lucas Automotive are passionate about hockey, and that's all Andy French and the guys there. But certainly it helps when Andy French or Todd Kilman says to Peacocks, uh, or you guys say to your sponsors, Stenaline and stuff, well, you're going to be on free-to-air television. That helps, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what sponsor wouldn't want to be on free-to-air television? I know Lucas Automotive, I've had chats with those guys. They love the fact that their logo was on free-to-air television when GB's playing Canada. So, I mean, it's it's helped. It's certainly helped financially, but more importantly, I think it's, again, that see it. If you can see it, you can be it. And there are going to be kids that have seen Liam Kirk. There are going to be kids that have seen Jonathan Phillips, Ben Bounds, on free-to-air television, they're going to want to be the next goalie or the next captain or the next NHL draft pick. And I think it's huge to have the free-to-air component, but I think it's important to have the pay model as well because the NHL doesn't give his rights away for free, um, and neither do a lot of the leagues we cover. None of the leagues do that we cover. Um, it all is an expense, so there has to be some behind the paywall because, again, it is a niche sport, so mm-hmm. you can't just give it all away. And, again, I've had people get in my face about that. Oh, well, you put the Challenge Cup behind a paywall. Well, that was the only way that sponsorship money could be generated, right? Yeah. They, were there, they wanted a sponsor, and I thought it was a great idea. And so there there we go. It has to be some way to make some money because it is a niche sport. I mean, it's not a license to print money like maybe football is. So, yeah, I think it's important to have both models. How, obviously, we're not going to dwell too much on, on the situation in regards to COVID-19, but how much of, how much damage do you think not having the playoffs will do the Elite League? Oh, man, it'll do damage to every league. It's going to do damage to the Swedish Hockey League, the KHL. It's certainly mm-hmm. going to do damage to the DEL. I mean, all that gate money, all that. Like, we all love the playoffs, right? And it doesn't matter if it's the league title or whatever, but it's the last game of the year, right? And everyone wants to win that last game of the year in Nottingham so they can go off and have a good summer. So for the players, it's a weird thing, right? And and whatever league, SHL, EIHL, whatever, they're all kind of going, well, that was weird. And now there's no... IIHF to kind of cap off your season but from a business standpoint yeah it's it's difficult because of all the revenue that's generated but you see that they're trying to be dynamic and I give the guys in the boardroom full credit they're they're talking about this magic five uh, event to start the weekend next year and you can roll your playoff tickets over so the league is trying and look there's a lot of smart people in that uh, boardroom including Steve Thornton right so there'll be a lot of uh, guys trying to make sure that the league is healthy if you go to free sports twitter and facebook you'll see a, a chat i did with Todd Kelman mm. and he talked about he want he thinks that all 10 teams will be healthy all 10 teams will be back they want the fans back so there's a lot to be positive about it's just we're all in a bit of limbo right now and we all there's nothing for us to base this on right we've not 1912 the spanish flu was a long time ago um and, uh, of course, 9-11, everything shut down for four or five days. But this is the uncertainty of everything. We don't know if we're going to be in this lockdown position for four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. Uh, and certainly, I'm sure the EIHL and the board guys are, are thinking, like, I hope this is over soon so we can plan that magic five weekend and start to, you know, have a light at the end of the tunnel. But I think, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tough for us all that the playoffs uh, certainly had to go by the wayside. Let's bring it back to you. Um, do you still skate? Oh yeah, do you still I, uh, get the chance because so, obviously the, the 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 number of ice pads up and down the island is, isn't great. But do, do you still get the opportunity to get out there and play? Well, this past winter I didn't because uh, my kids are at an age now where I couldn't drive up to Dundonald. But two two winters ago, I was driving up to Dundonald to play with a group called the Northern Ireland Tridents. It's a bunch of policemen, mm-hmm. fire services, and then a couple of blow-ins like me. Um, and 
Kitchy would know all those guys. <laughs> Dicka would know all those guys. Gareth Roberts would know all those guys. Shane Johnson would know all those guys. Anyway, I played up there a few a few years ago, and boy, oh boy, was it fun. But a couple of policemen and guys on other teams uh, caught on. Of, and I'm not saying I'm anybody, but they went, oh, you're the guy from the TV. And they used to try and take lumps out of me, so that was fun. <laughs> But then I would take lumps right back out of them, so they knew. Okay, well, he's game. He's not just the guy I talking about it on the TV. He'll he will he will definitely spare me in the side if I'm not careful. So it was fun, but it was a two hour drive up and a two hour drive back, and the games were at like ten o'clock on a on a Thursday. So if I didn't have a broadcast, I would run up there and leave my wife to do bedtime and all that, and, I, and then I wouldn't be getting back till like one in the morning. So mm. I did it. I think I played about. 10 games and had a lot of fun but it just it wasn't sustainable with my travel schedule and all that so that was the last time I played and I had a lot of fun uh skating I take my 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 son skating at the pop-up rinks at Christmas and he can actually already skate he was skating from like three um so yeah I get a chance at Christmas time but unfortunately there's just not the right facilities in the Republic of Ireland I had to drive up to to the north and it's just not sustainable with young kids and certainly my travel schedule as I said how do you, you brought up your kids there? How important is it that you bring that, the, them to the sport? Do you, is that something you want them to do themselves, or are, you, are, you, are they going to have their dad driving them up to Dundonald on a weekly basis? Uh, oh no, I don't force him into anything. My little fella <laughs> loves GA. He loves hurling. He loves anything with a stick. So he does love playing ball hockey in the garden. He can skate. Um, he loves watching a bit of hockey highlights. He loves watching the Bruins and the Leafs highlights. Yeah. Um, he loves once in a while if my wife says, "Oh, just sit down for five minutes and watch your dad." If there's an EIHL game on, <laughs> on TV here, so he he loves it, but he loves his football. He loves yeah. Liverpool. He's really annoyed oh, good, right good. now. He really is annoyed right <laughs> now because he kept talking about Liverpool winning the, the the Premier League, and I keep saying to him, "Well, hopefully the season will happen, but we don't know, buddy." And He's got his match attack sticker book and all that. So he loves his sport, and I've not forced any of it on him. He just has kind of gravitated towards certain things. And uh, certainly when my relations come over here, they bring him things like Toronto Maple Leafs jerseys and Montreal Canadiens jerseys to upset me as a Bruins fan. But he does have hockey sense. Like, he does like to shoot the ball. He's got a net in the garden, which is also for football. But he just loves to shoot and score uh, no matter what the, the sport. So I don't know if I'll be driving up to Dundonald. I think he's going to be a football guy with his buddies in school. And I think he's going to probably stay with Fingalians, his GAA club, and play some hurling and some Gaelic football. But if he wants to go up to Dundonald, I certainly will drive him up. Well, you tell me as a fellow Liverpool fan that he, can, he needs to keep the faith. But you know, he's 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 doing all right. He's had success in his short in his short life. You know, some of us have been waiting thirty years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but let's just finally let's look beyond this this scenario that we all find ourselves in right now, and let's look forward to what we have come. What comes next for Aaron Murphy? What what you you you've pushed the game here. You've got it on television. You were going to have the whole playoff set up. What comes next year? What comes after that? Because it seems to be improving year on year. Well, I'd like to do more games, but as I mentioned earlier, it's so expensive to do yeah. hockey. But, I mean, I'll always keep pushing that. I mean, I was supposed to be in Tokyo uh, for the Olympics in July. Obviously, the right decision made there. That's pushed off to next summer. So that's another challenge for me because I'm a winter sports guy. But this will be my fifth Olympics, um, and I'll be doing some summer sports as I did in Rio. So that's a challenge for me, and I like a challenge. So we'll we'll look forward to Tokyo 2021. But for me, is to keep growing the game and certainly really, really want more games on TV. Really, for me, um, like I said, if you can see it, you can be it. I really want kids to see hockey and see what I saw growing up so they can have that passion and love for it. Um, I guess personally – 
I mean, I've always been trying to help out get a rink here in Dublin, maybe pie in the sky stuff. But like I said, I've always been a dreamer. And I think an EIHL team in Dublin would be phenomenal. But mm. I keep trying to push that in some way with some of my contacts. We'll see. And certainly to keep, uh, keep you know, keep working away at the EIHL and Team GB and keep making a part of people's viewing uh, enjoyment. But certainly my most important thing is to grow the game, even like doing things like these, you know, Skype calls with Todd Kelman. There's one on there with Chris Ellis. We're trying to put together a show right now as well for the actual broadcast side of things. So just try and keep hockey as part of people's enjoyment. That's the most important thing to me. And certainly I guess the big dream is to call NHL games for a living at some point. I mean, this is what I do for a living. I'm very privileged that hockey is my living. I don't have to go and do other things in the summer. I go to the Olympics in the summer if it's an Olympic year. Uh, so I'm a full-time commentator, so I know how privileged I am. So I guess the next big thing for me would be to take it to, to the next step. But I guess a lot of things have to fall into place. But if you don't have a dream, you don't have much else. So I'll keep on dreaming, Patty. Right, so with, with all, when this all ends, you've got your full domestic seasons with your with your Swedish, your KHL, your Champions Hockey League. You say you've got Tokyo 2021. No doubt you've probably got Beijing in 2022. It's gonna, And then the Worlds, you're going to have a busy couple of years no doubt but that's why we thank you very much mate for for taking time to chat to us it's been really interesting chatting to you man thanks and you guys know i always love coming on talking to you whether it's this sort of one-on-one format or or the podcast of you from the bridge so tell kitchy and joel and and davy everyone i send my best Uh, all the best to you and your family i'll sign off with one funny story maybe my son's got the dreamers gene as well first ever game i ever took him to his fourth birthday uh, Brooksy and the guys at the Giants took good care of us. We were up in next to Kitchy in the in the booth there. He was doing his his webcast, and my four year old son was sitting uh, front row in that suite. And he said to Shane Johnson, "The Belfast Giants are going to win the Stanley Cup." And uh, <laughs> they were playing the Glasgow Clan that night. I think they won. Uh, but Shane Johnson said to me, "Your son has big uh, big ideas and big dreams for the Belfast Giants, so you're welcome anytime." So there you go. My son uh, predicted a Belfast Giants Stanley Cup victory at some point. So you got to believe, I suppose. Let's not rule it out, mate. That's not rule it out. Let's let's put it here now. Uh, Belfast Giants twenty thirty. Stanley Cup Giants. (laughs) I just thought it was so adorable. And Shane Johnson looked at me and said, well, Robert Fitzpatrick will be happy about that. Your son has big ideas for the club. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, thanks again, man. Oh, Patty, uh, all the best, man. Take care of yourself. And hopefully we come out of this sooner rather than later. And I'll see you at a rink proper. Podcast Network.